0: I'm going to do something kind of weird. I'm going to show you a video here in a minute. You might be thinking, that's not weird. Well, it is a little bit because it's a 27-minute video. Now, you might be thinking, Nick, you didn't prepare to preach today, did you? (laughs) I've seen this trick before. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like, you remember back in the day, like sometimes when you're a preacher growing up, it'd be like Sunday night and And he'd be like, tonight we're going to have testimony service. And you're like, dude, you just watched the Cowboys all afternoon. That's exactly what you did. You ain't got nothing, right? You're not spiritual like that. So I promise you I have content for today. I've studied this text. Now, I have cut my notes down to half, okay? I have a video I want to show you because I, I think if you were to watch something visual about what I'm about to show you, it would give you a, a greater richness and kind of visceral understanding of what's kind of happening in Micah chapter 5 today, okay? So it's a 27-minute video about Eliah, and uh, I'm sorry, about Aliyah. And Aliyah is basically a Hebrew word that means rising up. And it basically is the word used to describe ethnic Jews, okay, going back to the promised land of Israel. Now, there's prophetic significance to that, okay? So we're going to watch that here in just a minute. We're going to read the text, and I'm going to make a couple comments, and we're going to watch it. The title of our message today is Hope in the King to Come. Hope in the King to Come. And here's the deal. Part of the Lord coming back someday, Some I, no one knows the day nor the hour. He's coming like a thief in the night. So be very cautious if you start throwing out predictions and things of that nature. But I will say this, we are always to be expecting it, him to return as imminent at any moment. It can come. But there are breadcrumbs, kind of shadows that we see in the scripture that would give us some, like, wow, that's interesting. Things are winding. Things seem to be winding down. Now listen, I, I, can, I personally don't, don't have enough like, confidence to go, it's going to happen in my lifetime. I can say, boy, I'm seeing a lot of things that seem to indicate when I read the scriptures of indicating like So here's some things for me in my study of prophecy that I'm looking for to kind of go, hmm, that is descriptive in of, of things that are going to be happening in the end times. So for instance, uh, a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, okay? Uh, all the plans, everything's laid, that's there. Go to the Temple Institute website. Uh, a couple years ago, they even took the, they had like the, um, the altar and did like a burnt offering. I mean, they already, they already have the, the altar built, okay? Uh, they've been the priesthood has already been practicing. They already got the plans. Uh, uh, I actually think it's going to be in the city of David. Actually, not on the Temple Mount will be the actual place. But, but that's one thing. You're also going to see, I believe, uh, prophetically Israel having the ability to militarily kind of protect itself, and that actually has been very true. Also, think prophetically, you're going to see a return of Jewish, ethnic Jewish people to their homeland, and that's actually happening before our eyes, there has been over three million Jews return since 1948 to the land of Israel. Almost half of the world's ethnic Jewish population now resides in Israel. And I went to the, I went to the government website in Israel last night just to see how they're doing it with coronavirus and everything, and they are still doing it coronavirus or not. I mean, you have to come and Quarantine for 14 days and stuff, but they're still they're still trying to bring things in, bring people in. And just so you know, this I I, I pulled this up on my phone. Um, here's you might be wondering, like, how in the world would would someone, um, like, how how is this happening? How is this a part of prophecy? And you'll see this in a minute. But here's a couple things. So if you're ethnic Jewish and you're kind of like, hey, I'm Jewish. You can go back to the Israel, and here's the things they're going to do to help you get back there. One, a free plane ticket. Two, transportation from the airport to wherever you need to go first. They're going to subsidize your rent. They're going to give you health coverage, free health coverage for a year. Okay? You will get free Hebrew schooling to learn Hebrew, but also you get a heavily subsidized tuition if you want to do formal education in Israel. You will have t- you can tax free bring all your household goods here. You pay a discounted income tax. You also get a special interest rate to introduce you into and buy a house in Israel. You actually get to buy a car at a much reduced rate, you know, coming back to Israel. Isn't this interesting? You also can bring your money at a at a substantial uh, a substantial amount if you have money um without penalties. Your daycare, if you come and you both need to work, you have subsidized daycare. You are actually put in a special tax bracket for a certain period of time. So, what's been happening? Kind of sweet deal, don't you think? <laughs> Is it kind of like Man, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna find out. Am I like 10 percent Jewish? Like, you know, let's do this. You know, call your mom, call your grandma. Go swab your cheek for some DNA. Send it in to the uh, what's it called? DNA, you know, ancestry.com. Find out. I mean, put it in. You know, maybe you can prove it. But if you, um, if you have, have or any part of if Hebrew Jew or you, you have a part of it like your your even if like, like your, your dad wasn't, but your mom was, but you're a child of that, like you have access. So there's a, the law of Israel, when they became a nation, they established in 1950 was the right of return, which means if you are Jewish, you have the right to Israeli citizenship. You have a right to be in that country, and they are motivated to bring you there. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read for you this text. You're going to see some of that in this text. And I want to show you a video uh, about kind of that process. Now, can I give you one warning about the video? Besides the length of it, there is one part that we would disagree with in the video. Now, you understand, um, the Israeli government is a secular government in the sense of it's not... I mean, now, I think it plays a part in God's plan, and I think it's 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 a... You know, I'm not such a Zionist, though, that I can go... Everything that Israel does is right, Okay? But they are promoting that secular Israeli government does promote an LBGTQ you know, lifestyle, like any secular government pretty much. And so you will see there's one part where they are promoting that. We're, we're not for that, right? But I want you to get the understanding of for a Jewish person returning the process, and that's unfolding before your eyes. And the Lord's return in Micah, and you're going to see this in other minor prophets as we get to it, That's one of the residues, the the shadows that the Lord's coming back. It is no coincidence that Israel, not existing from their own homeland for 2,000 years, scattered all over the globe from dispersion, in 1948 they get to come back to their land, they get a homeland. And they still are, are an ethnic bloodline unto themselves. Wherever they were scattered, they tended to kind of isolate in their communities, and they tended to keep the Sabbath. They tended to keep festival regulation, which kind of kept them from kind of watering down their Jewish ethnicity. Are you hanging with me? They come back in 1948, and 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 like for instance, one of the reasons they can, they came back or it was so motivated is because 1948 is following on the tail end of World War II where you had the Holocaust and Jewish people are realizing like we have got to have some place where we can be protected because wherever we're at globally there tends to be these persecutions of us like the pogroms the, in, in, in Russia. So there, there's this motivation and then droves start coming back and their society develops and now there's this massive wave. And some Jews come back because they're Jewish Christians and they see it in prophecy. Some Jews come back because they're, they're not Christians. They're like, not Christian Jews, but they are Orthodox, religious, Old Testament Jews. But yet they see that this is the homeland that God has promised to the children of Abraham. So they're coming back. Then some are completely secular like these are the guys that i mean one time i flew on a plane the guy told me he was jewish and then he told me he loved to eat bacon and i'm like you don't seem very jewish to me <laughs> but he was ethnically and even people who are secular jews are feeling a pull to go back to to go to israel and they can't explain it but i can even many jews that i've talked to even in america most when you talk to them about Aliyah, and it's just like there's something where they think like someday I'm gonna be back there. Now, let's do this. Let's look at Micah chapter three. I'm sorry, Micah chapter five, verse three through fourteen. I'll read some of this text and then I want to show you this video, and we're gonna work through the text together. Verse three, hope in the king to come. Micah says this, therefore, now remember. Micah's, the, uh, these prophets are not tied to linear as much as we are. They jump back and forth in chronology timeline, okay? So he was just at the birth of the Messiah, verse 2, okay? Before verse 2 in verse 1, he was really giving shade to the Babylonian captivity coming, okay? Now in verse 3, we're jumping forward to what I believe would be the time right before the Lord returns. Verse 3, therefore he shall give them up until the time... When she who is in labor has given birth. I believe that's the she here is referring to Israel. We'll talk more about that later. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. I believe that's talking about the return of Israel at the at the end before the Lord returns. Verse 4. He shall stand and shepherd the flock of the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of his God. For they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. The... the this now points forward to the Lord as he's returned. There's a people that are there. There is, there is a Jewish people there in that land. When the millennial kingdom happens, Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Then he comes into verse 5. When Assyria comes into our land and treads out our palaces, then we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword And the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrians. And when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This, he now bumps back a little bit to what we're, I'm going to show you later what I believe is Assyria here is actually describing the nations. It's when the nations come attacking Israel. For the nations to attack Israel, Israel's going to have to have a country, a land, a people, okay? I'll show you more of, of why we've got to that. Verse 7, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like the dew from the Lord, like the showers of the grass, which delay not for man, nor wait for the children of man. And Jews are scattered all over the globe. Now he gets comes back to a dispersion. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many people, like the lion among the beasts of the forest, like the lion among the, the, the flocks of the sheep, which when it goes through, treads down, tears in pieces, And there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. In that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you. I will destroy your chariots. I will cut off your cities of your land. So get this in verse 10 through 15. We see Israel is in the land, but the Lord is cleansing them. The Lord is preparing them. For that. the Lord to do that, they're going to have to be in the land. So he says this. I will cut off your cities of your land. I will throw down all your strongholds. The Lord starts to sanctify Israel. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that not obey. So that I'm just reading a little bit. We're going to come back, and I'm going to exposit that. But I want you to understand, part of this text is that, that for this to happen, the Jewish people are going to have to be back in the land. And for them, to, for them to gather, in verse 4, for them to protect themselves against the Assyrian nations of the world, they're going to have to be back in the land. For them to, have the, for them to protect themselves, they're going to have to be in the land. That couldn't happen before 1948. And there's, you have to ask yourself a question. How in the world have 3 million Jewish people gone to Israel in the last 70 years by sheer coincidence? How has a government, like, been so motivated to do that? Ask yourself this question. Why would that happen? You know, there, so, anyways, I want to show you kind of a video of people who are kind of preparing. And some of these are religious, some of these are secular people. But kind of that process... And then we're gonna come exposit the text. So it's a 27 minute video. So go put the popcorn in, and uh, then we're gonna take through this text and help you understand it. Okay, y'all understand what we're gonna do? Okay, y'all go ahead and, uh, Lord willing, this video
1: will work. When I moved here, people would always make the joke, "Oh, Aliyah made Aliyah." That does mean the same as moving to Israel, going up, ascending, kind of entering a higher consciousness. So first of all, it was a name picked by my parents because they're like, wow, we thought it was a beautiful name. Little do they know that it would become my fate moving here.
2: I moved here from Rochester, New York, six years ago. I'm uh, right now looking for work. I can see that the, the language is a, is a big part. Learning Hebrew, and I have been able to learn Hebrew, but it took some time.
3: I made Aliyah to Israel when I was 15 years old, and it was a very hard process when we came. It, the story isn't over when you get on a plane and come here. It's not over. The problems really begin.
4: I was born in Crimea, uh, in the Soviet Union. And of course, I grew up with a dream to leave Soviet Union one day and to go to free world and uh, to come to Israel.
5: I grew up in North America, uh, outside Boston. I'm married, and I have four children. In America, I was a school nurse at a Jewish day school. And here, I'm just being a mom and a new immigrant, (laughs) which is definitely a full-time job to be a new immigrant.
1: I think it was sort of uh, several events that um, influenced my decision to come here. We grew up in a household that was very Jewish culturally. Both of our parents are rabbis, so we grew up in a synagogue surrounded by that. But Israel or Zionism was never really talked about. Um, My grandma nearly made aliyah or immigrated to Israel in 1947, I think. So there was an influence, but it wasn't pushed on us at all. And then, really, it happened when I went to college and I got more involved in the Jewish and pro-Israel community that I started to learn about um, this beautiful country. Um, so I did a year abroad here and met amazing people and totally fell in love with the culture. And that influenced me to want to immigrate here in 2010.
4: And I was born in a Jewish family, but not a religious family. When I grew up, we had uh, no churches and no synagogues Uh, so i grew up uh, in atheistic environment but uh, somehow i always believed in god and that is very special by the age of 18 i really was looking for god i really was searching and praying even more Uh, it was a time of uncertainty and i really got lots of questions i was happy with my life and i just married my wife and we thought Maybe one day, because we are Jewish, so maybe one day when we're going to retire, we will go to our homeland and we will move to Israel. But of course, God changed our plans, and uh, just in the middle of all our plans, He showed up and uh, showed us all the scriptures and spoke to our hearts, time to move. And here we are.
2: I moved here with my parents, and also my sister lives here. She's married and has two kids really uh, I'm happy that I that I've been able to move here and transition and yeah that it's it's been a challenging time but also a very good time and
5: well I grew up in a family that was very Zionistic. not in a way of like people would come and make aliyah I'm the first person in my family my husband was probably the big mover and shaker. He has been very, very patient in his life. He came when he was like 20 and he wanted to stay then and ended up going back to America. And then when we were married and we had two small children, we came for six months. We had only planned for it to be six months, but he very much wanted to stay. And I very much wasn't ready. And then you get to the point where your kids are old enough to. So he felt like if we didn't do it at this year, then we were going to wait till we were retired. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to come now.
6: The Jewish nation developed during their exile in Egypt around the year 1800 BCE. After living about 400 years in Egypt, the Jews returned to the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham as their eternal heritage. The second biblical exile took the Jews to Babylon around the year 600 BCE. Then, during the Roman Empire, in the year 70 CE, the Jewish people were once again scattered among the nations to the four corners of the world. But, beginning in the late 19th century, a modern-day exodus began, with Jews once again returning to the Promised Land. tiny nation with a population of some 8.5 million, a mere 424 kilometers, or 263 miles from north to south, and only 15 kilometers, or 9 miles, at its narrowest point. But in spite of this insignificance, Israel is constant front-page news.
4: Israel was never an easy country to live in. When you come as a tourist, it's nice lots of fun you know, biblical heritage just beautiful country and beautiful beach like in my city so it's nice for tourists but when you come to live here you know bible call israel a country that a uh, country of milk and honey but to have uh, uh, been able to use milk and honey as a local person as a local citizen you have to work hard
5: what people don't know about Israel is that it really, it's the only democracy in the Middle East and the rights that people have in Israel are unparalleled in the Middle East. Like lesbian and gay community here, full equal rights. Arabs who are Israeli citizens have full equal rights. I think sometimes the media portrayals of Israel and what's the reality are so very, very different,
1: it's sad. It's just really important to um, form your opinions based on facts and real experiences, rather than regurgitating uh, what the media tells you to, which, as I've been learning in school, often has an agenda.
2: I think uh, the land of Israel is a is a place that's certainly not perfect, but uh, we have to protect our uh, our land here from from those that are, as you can see, the land of Israel, surrounded by all nations that want to kill us. And uh, it's God's plan to protect this nation.
6: For much of their history... The Jewish people have been dispersed among the nations of the world. But in their isolated communities, they still maintain their traditions. A kosher diet, a calendar of celebrated holy days and feasts. And in spite of other societal norms that surrounded them, the diaspora Jews always kept the Jewish Sabbath, a weekly time of rest and worship from sundown on Friday until sundown Saturday. But in Israel the Sabbath is universally observed throughout the nation especially in Jerusalem
0: Shalom
2: alechem aleche asheret malachei elon mi melech maziam alechei makkados baruchu bo achem le shalom aleche shalom aleche מי מלך מלכי המלך עם הקדוש ברוך הוא ברכו
1: שלום
5: מלכי השם ברוך אתה השם אלוקנו מלך העולם בורא פריה גפן אמן
6: Since the birth of modern Israel in 1948, more than three million Jews have moved back to the land, arriving from all points on the globe, from Iraq to Morocco from China to India, from America to the former Soviet Union, from France to Ethiopia, literally from across the four corners of the world. Moving to Israel means getting accustomed to a new way of life.
5: We lived here in this apartment for about three and a half weeks with like literally nothing. I had taken like two pots and two knives and a colander for pasta in my suitcase and we had a folding table and four chairs that we borrowed from somebody and we slept on air mattresses and that was literally all we had. So it's been very pleasant to have like our sofas and our stuff and our beds and our blankets here from America. It's been very comforting.
2: I'd say the attitude of people is different here. There's maybe uh, um, less patience sometimes, and uh, just it's very fast-paced. It's uh, different here living in Jaffa because it's right in the city and there's lots of noise, but it feels it feels like a, like a home and feels like uh, the people are friendly and it's very much family-based here. And uh, I can say, maybe coming from the U.S., that it wasn't so based on such family because people like their personal space. But here in the Middle East, you don't have a lot of personal space. You know, you're interacting with people all the time. Before I moved here, I had visited one once or twice, so I knew a little bit of what it was like. But I guess I expected it to uh, be maybe similar, more similar to America or Europe. And... Uh, to not be so difficult actually to uh, integrate. Uh...
1: I'm extremely punctual. I'm always on time. E- even if I know the other people won't be on time, I can't break myself of the habit to show up when we've agreed upon. Um, so bringing with me that those expectations and coming here, you either have to drop them or you'll go crazy.
5: Um, I'm in Ulpan. I go to intensive Hebrew class every morning for four hour, um, four and a half hours, um, five days a week. It's amazing. It's really, really helpful for the language skills, but also for the social piece because almost everyone there is a new immigrant, and. We're a very diverse group. In my group, we have people who are not religious, people who are religious, people who are from Russia, from Ukraine, France. It's like a very, very nice mix of people. So life feels, um, it's certainly challenging, but it's very, very beautifully easy in so many ways.
6: Some of the greatest survivors are the Ethiopian Jews. More than 20,000 of them moved to Israel during two secret operations carried out by the Israeli government in 1984 and 1991. While boarding the planes, many of them didn't even know their destination. After arriving in Israel, they faced a completely new reality, encountering a very modern society, a foreign language, and unfamiliar family hierarchies. While their elders struggled in their new home, the younger generation of Ethiopian Jews found it easier to blend into Israeli society. The Jewish agency of the state of Israel helps with the return to the land, a journey known as Aliyah. The agency works to help immigrants starting with language classes in modern Hebrew. Chaim Malespin, who made Aliyah from America as a teenager, remembers his own challenges as a new citizen. Today, he helps other newcomers assimilate
3: into Israeli life. You have to find a house, you have to learn a language, you have to know do I have to go to the army? Do I have to, how do I get married? Uh, everything.
6: This young entrepreneur founded the Aliyah Return Center in his home city of Tiberias. The center also provides accommodation and support for immigrants. Chaim is also working with the Jewish Agency. He's expanding the Return Center in a former boarding school by the Jordan River.
3: We have joined together with the Jewish Agency, and we uh, that's the, the one who does the Aliyah and the absorption of Israel. We joined together with them and we have now begun to lease this property. We are going to fix it up. We're going to all put our our hands to the shovels and paint brushes and bring in contractors and we are going to see this place again fulfill.
6: The wish, next year in Jerusalem, is a recurring theme in Jewish prayers. Each person has his or her own personal reasons for moving to Israel. Recently, many Jews have moved from France because of anti-Semitism. The exodus from Ukraine has increased because of unrest on its borders, and the faltering Russian economy has pushed Jews there to leave for Israel. Israel Pochter moved from Crimea, Ukraine in 1995. He was part of a wave of over one million immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Through numerous discussions with people who made Aliyah in those years, he made an astonishing observation. Most of the immigrants were drawn to Israel by a similar, uncanny attraction.
4: They would say, I don't know, just something changed in one day, and my life in the country uh, just became meaningless when I think of future i can see my future only in israel Uh, when i think about israel i feel light i feel joy i feel good and if i think staying here i feel kind of darkness and i just know it's time to move many people really moved because they felt it they just i mean they totally not artists not believers of any kind But they felt something inside, and they felt like, we need to move. And many would justify it, saying, like, for the future of our kids, for the future of, you know, our nation, to keep our identity. But I can tell you, uh, it was a really move of God.
1: And that idea of yearning for Zion and wanting to come back here has stuck with us from the exile throughout the diaspora. So, um, you know, the birth of modern Zionism with Herzl is just another manifestation of that.
6: Thousands of years ago, the Tanakh, the holy scripture of the Jews, predicted the Jewish exodus from among the nations back to Israel. This is mentioned in the Bible more than 70 times, in Deuteronomy and the Psalms, as well as by many of the prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel.
4: Speaks a lot, specifically about exodus from the northern countries. If you go north from Israel, you come in first to Lebanon, uh, Syria, Turkey, then Eastern Europe, Ukraine, and Russia. And actually, it's going straight to Moscow, which is really represents all the Soviet Union countries and Russian-speaking world. Uh, so actually, I found there is many scriptures speaks about Aliyah or movement of God. Because God's saying always, I will cause them, I will cause Jewish people to come back to the land of Israel. I will do all kinds of miracles. I will take them out. And it's been, been growing in my heart, and I felt like, wow, Bible speaks about me.
5: You know what, the way that I always learned it is that Israel is really the place that all the Jews should be trying to live. And I'm really pleased to be a part of it you know I don't know does it mean Mashiach is coming and that I'm being here you know I wish I could say yes but I don't know I'm not learned enough to say that
3: it says in Jeremiah 31 verse 8 even if they are in the farthest places I will from there I will gather them back here so that's talking about now you know that back in the time of Egypt God sent Moses, and he said, I'm bringing the children of Israel out of slavery, out of anti-Semitism, and great miracles happened. The Red Sea parted, you know, and the Jordan River also parted, and they came into the Promised Land. We are living in a special time in history, a time that has has never happened before on this scale. I can see that, that
2: there is a plan for this land, and the fact
3: that so many different people have immigrated
2: to this land also shows that uh, it's a very special place.
4: Speaking about conflict here with the uh, uh, Arabs or right say probably right way to say Muslims, uh, maybe even better to say radical Muslims to understand this conflict, we need to go uh, back to history and what's happening here it's not just conflict between people, but in our case in case of Israel, the conflict is spiritual it's going all the way back to the Bible, the envy between uh, 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 Isaac and Israel, uh, and it's an old story.
6: The distinct identity of the Jews has set them apart from other nations. Perhaps this could explain some of the hostility directed against the Jewish people.
1: A lot of times, Jews, and this is part of the heritage, wherever we've been, whether that's Poland or Morocco or the United States, vary within our own community. And this disinterest this in assimilating has frustrated a lot of uh, people in the countries, which, of course, leads to um, anti-Jewish sentiments. So I never felt discriminated against, but I did feel very... Um, happy when I was within the Jewish community because there's a certain uh, cycle of the year with holidays and food and traditions and religion that you kind of blend into. So it's nice that when you're here, you don't have to explain if you need Passover off or there's a certain um, life event in your family. And also to finally feel like you're part
5: of the majority, For all my life, I was in the minority. I went to a school with four Jewish kids. It's so nice for my kids not to feel that.
6: The government of Israel estimates that nearly half of the world's Jews already live in Israel. The Jewish people are like birds in flight, crisscrossing the sky in different directions. But as birds instinctively fly south when winter approaches, so too Jews from around the world are drawn towards Israel, as the world's opinion becomes colder and hardened against them
1: i've always said that you know israel needs to be here because you never know when jews will have to leave their country you know we've seen this recently um in ukraine we've seen it with france we just brought over some of the last jews of yemen who are being um threatened to death so you know it's important that it's here because america's safe and people say it always will be safe and i do believe that but you never know you never know when um having a safe haven will be a good uh, good thing
0: The reason I wanted you to see that is I wanted you to understand like behind the scenes like this is actually going on and the different lines of motivation but understand that part of prophecy is there is over and over in the Old Testament in the prophets and actually as we get further into the minor prophets even today you can see in our text it indicates a gathering of Jewish people back to the land now here's the deal. When you've got, um, you know, the Jewish people as a whole reject the Messiah. They, in, in 70 AD, are dispersed. Rome comes and sacks Jerusalem. But yet, wherever they scatter, they stay a people unto themselves, carry on their traditions, carry on Sabbath observance, carry on feast and festival. But yet, because they stay within themselves, uh, for the most part, they're able to, to and, 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 and don't for the most part... Um, become a part of the wider culture they actually marry within themselves continue you know you know when you're away from where you live you kind of you kind of uh, inculcate into the culture right it's not like your your kids are going to marry someone from a different ethnicity or a different belief system but for the most part they stay within themselves now this this has been good to 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 maintain the jewishness of the jewish people globally scattered over the last 2000 years however At the same time, that has allowed it to be systemically oppressed. That would allow the Germans to go, let's pick out a people and who's responsible and let's pick them. It made it easier for them to be systemically persecuted globally and blamed by governments. And yet, in God's sovereign plan, that's all a part of things because why would you want to flee to Israel if you are Jewish? Because it would be a safe place. It would be a place where everybody spoke kind of your language or everybody had your rhythms of Sabbath. And, uh, do you, are you understanding? Like there, there would be a reason for God's sovereign design of everything that's happening. So even today you see it. Now, I, I don't know God's timetable, but I, I will tell you this. What will happen? when the bulk of the world's ethnic Jews get back to Israel? Does that have a timeline? I, I I would say this. Over and over, when you read the prophets, you find that there is this massive return. Three over three million have returned. Have you ever known of a government that made it this sweet of a deal to come to their country? <laughs> You know? Now governments let people come to their country sometimes out of just trying to be nice and they limit that number, or sometimes they let people come from other countries because those people have money or they have something to add to that society. But it is basically it's your right of of your of of your ethnic heritage. That is prophetic. And we see even Micah in our text today talk about that. Today it's happening, it's still happening regardless of coronavirus. People ask me, do you think the Lord's coming back? And I would say, it's always been imminent, always. But I do see shadows of things, like I see a lot of people returning and desiring to return. Did you catch in the video where one guy was like, I don't know, we just kind of feel it, right? Just kind of like, we just kind of feel it. So look at your text. We're going to point out a couple of things. Are y'all still with me? Are you okay? Now here's the deal. The title of my message is this, the King to come. Hope in the King to come. Our hope oftentimes is anchored to things that aren't very strong. Just like, if y'all probably noticed, do y'all notice our hopes back up here? Do y'all notice it's been kind of down for the last several weeks? Because the, the, we we were using command hooks to hold it up, but command hooks just don't have enough to hold up hope, right? And command hooks, maybe that would equivalent the same kind of hope we put, that like, I'll have better days or I'll have better health, right? That's not necessarily bad, but I wouldn't really hang a lot of my hope because hope's going to fall. But now we've got it anchored with, I actually have no idea, because if I did, I would have fixed it. But Stephanie Heckert came up this week and fixed it with something a lot stronger than command hooks, something that your hope can be hung on a lot better. And your hope has to be hung hung on something better than flimsy command hooks, but something much more stronger like the Lord's return. Titus two, eleven. Let me read this for you in twelve and thirteen. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's what God's grace does when you become a believer. He helps you to live for Him, to deny worldly passions, but to live self-controlled. And then it says this: waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the King to come. And in your text today, you see the breadcrumbs, the shadows that the King is coming. And I will tell you this, when you know the King is coming, it changes your life. If you think you've got more time, you don't have such the urgency. But when you know you don't have much time, you get very urgent about life. You start declaring the gospel. If you knew Jesus was coming back today at 1 o'clock, you would probably leave this sermon right now. Start making phone calls to people that you've always wished you would have. Start knocking on the doors of your neighbor. If there's sin unconfessed and unrepented of, or sin you've been meditating on, or unforgiveness, you're probably going to try to get that... Are you are you tracking with me on that idea? That's why when we put all of our hope on something that can really hold up our hope, and I don't know what Stephanie's used back here, right? But something more substantial, that's when you can actually do well with life. That's actually when you start dropping sin. That's when you actually start pursuing disciple-making to the glory of God. So we see in our text some things going on, and we can see it before our eyes. Look in verse 3. First, I'm going to point out this. We see in the text the return of the king, will include this idea of a return of Jewish people to the land of Israel. Look in verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up, the Lord, shall give them up, I believe referencing the Jewish people. Now, I'm not just making this up, I'm, I'm interpreting this in all of prophetic scripture in the Old Testament. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor, when you read Revelation chapter 7, it describes a woman in labor that, that really indicates Israel. She who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This, this is a prophetic idea of the people of Israel coming back to the land. that, that right now she's in labor, but there's going to come a time when Israel will birth and will have a new nation. I believe that's already happened. And I believe that you can see that brothers shall return to the people of the Lord. Ethnic Jews are returning in droves and droves to, the, to, to Israel. I just showed you that video for a reason to, to let you understand that this is actually happening before our eyes. Even the virus can't stop its onslaught. And you have to admit... There's something suspicious about that because part of the prophecy that, that oh, like, for instance, let's say the covenant, right? God made a covenant with Abraham that he that he would give them a land, a people and a land and also the Messiah. And so we see in the Abrahamic covenant, which you remember was not conditional, Right. Remember the Mosaic Covenant? That was conditional. Like you need to obey this or you're not going to go well for you in the land. You're going to get exiled if you don't. The Abrahamic Covenant was never uh, conditional. It was always unconditional. God was going to be faithful to that. And if you kind of look at Israel like they leave the land, they come back to the land uh, from Babylon captivity, but then they have to leave the land again as a result of their disobedience. They go into ba- Babylonian captivity because of their disobedience to the Mosaic Law. They go later... Uh, you know, after Jesus in 70 AD, they get, they, they get driven from the land again from the opposite of, of their disobedience. The, their first disobedience when it came to Babylon was for idolatry. The next time it was basically because of legalism. They, they didn't come to the Messiah as a whole. They've been scattered. But yet the prophets talk about a great ingathering of the people of Israel coming back to the land and you see it now and it's impossible that that a people could stay an ethnic group and could come from that far. Even for a government to say, we're going to make sure that this happens. We're going to sweeten the pot. We're going to give you a place to stay. Now, by the way, if you saw it's not easy to ever move to a new country or do anything like that. But in spite of it, there's this huge draw that's happening. And our our scriptures prophesy about this idea that when the Messiah comes, he's coming back to Jerusalem. And there's still Abrahamic covenant Land allotments to be fulfilled there. There's still a a there's still a Davidic king on the throne that's being pointed to 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 King Jesus ruling from the throne of Jerusalem. These things still await their final prophetic fulfillment. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of the Abrahamic covenant was that uh, there would be a children of Abraham. If you if even if you're not Jewish and you've come to Jesus as Savior, you are the children of Abraham by spiritual lineage we are all children of abraham jew and gentile but there is still this this fulfillment that of the abrahamic covenant of not only spiritual but also this physical land and this people in this land living now here's the deal right now i want you to notice some herd mentality that you saw in this where it talked about basically them kind of being very community oriented now here's what's interesting the The Revelation prophesies that like, there's a huge gathering, even like 144,000 Jews sealed, in which many prophetic experts believe that's going to be this mass uh, evangelizing of Jews. Now, here's the deal. If you were going to evangelize Jewish people on a wide scale, if you were going to do something that was was just over-consuming, what would you need? You'd need them all in the same place. And you need everybody to have kind of a herd mentality, right? You understand what I'm saying? You would need something like that to happen. That's what you see coming before you. So verse 3, he says, Therefore the Lord, he shall give them up until the time when she, Israel, who is in labor, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Amazing. Now, not only that, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, but number two... The return of the Jewish people to the Lord in the land of Israel. That's coming. Now, I think that's something that's going to be happening actually during the tribulation leading up to his return. When he rules and reigns and sets foot back in Jerusalem from the very place he ascended. And starts that millennial kingdom fulfilling some of the Abrahamic promises of the land and people there. And ruling and and reigning from there for the rest of the nations. Look in verse 4. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I believe verse 4, the prophet bumps forward to what would be the millennial kingdom, but notice in this text that the Lord is now shepherding his flock, and his flock is secure. They're in a place that's secure, but yet his glory is going to the end, for the ends of the earth. That's describing kind of what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. Jesus ruling and reigning, fulfilling those Davidic covenants. Then, then the glory of the Lord spreading. That's why it's called the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. It's a reign of peace on earth. We see, we see that, that how would this happen dwell secure? There's, there's going to have to be an gathering. See, this is where we place our hope. We place our hope in the king to come. And the king to come is coming. Now, what's interesting is you look keep bump down to the next one number five uh verse five so there's been the return of the jewish people to the land of israel the return of the jewish people to the lord in the land of israel that's coming in the future but i just want you to understand if the people are going to make a return to the lord in the land like they're going to have to be gathered there in the land and there's going to have to be a mentality of you know like something happens in a family and it kind of spreads in a family Do you know actually how the gospel spreads the most through the world it spreads the most in the world where there are, when there's kind of community, family orientation, which just to kind of tell you, the gospel doesn't spread in America very well right now. You want to know why? Because we're individualistic. That's just kind of that's that's just what we are. You know, we don't mind people, we just don't like them very long, all right? And we want to go home. <laughs> it's kind of what we're like, all right? But that's not what like the rest of the world. The rest of the world is a lot more community oriented. And the gospel spreads so much easier in other parts of the world. A family unit comes to the Lord and it spreads within that family unit a lot easier. We're going to see that. That happens in the Middle East very easily. So we're going to see that. Point number three on my, looking at verse number five, the right of the Jewish people to defend themselves against foreign nations. So. Remember, the prophet's not tying to linear. And you just got to understand, when you study the prophets, they do not like to stick to linear all the time. But now I see verse 5. I see the prophet seems to be bouncing. We, we've we got the Jewish people returning to the land in verse 2. Verse 3, we see the Jewish people kind of returning to the Lord in the land of Israel. But then we get to verse 5, and we see the the right of the Jewish people to defend themselves against foreign nations. So it's like the prophet kind of he kind of goes to the people returning to the land, Then goes to the people kind of of forward to the millennial kingdom. Then he kind of bounces back to this idea that the Jewish people will defend themselves. Now it's interesting. When you look at verse 5, it says this. He shall be their peace. The Lord will be their peace. The ultimate peace. There will truly never be any true peace in the Middle East until the Lord comes back. There will be some false peace. And that will happen around the Antichrist. And something will happen where Israel will make peace with the other nations around them, especially the hostile Arab nations around them. And if you know right now, there's just, last week was another, a couple of weeks ago, another Arab nation has recognized Israel, the U, um, United Arab Emirates. And that actually is, you know, so has Jordan and so has Egypt. Like for, some, for, for that to happen, for, for some kind of false peace before the Lord returns... That, that, that's gonna have to happen and we're gonna see Arab we're starting to see that. The Antichrist is gonna have a final hand in that. Part of that is we see in prophecy the Antichrist is gonna come in and declare himself God in a new temple built in Jerusalem, new Jewish temple. They've got all the plans for the temple right now. It could be set up in the city of David right now. But all for that to happen would be Arab nations and Israel, like Arab nations would have to recognize Israel, there would have to be some kind of peace Pact. That has not happened yet. It has been tried over and over. It constantly is like this. But now they're making another push for it again right now. But you understand you're living actually, literally, and possibly some prophetic fulfillment. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to happen this next year. You know, because, you know, I'm not going to throw out dates like that. But let me just point out a couple things in verse 5. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads out our palaces then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Now I want you to understand Assyria in this book could you know was going to attack them during Hezekiah's reign during the book of Micah. We see that in chapter 3 verse 12. But what I want you to understand is this, did Israel actually ever do anything to beat the Assyrians? No. Not this one. Remember the Lord is the what actually drove out and killed 185 Assyrians. Uh, You find in other places of the, of Old Testament prophecy that sometimes the word Assyrian can literally mean Assyria or it's descriptive to the people of Israel of the, of the nations that are hostile against them. I think in the context of what we're reading here, it's actually Assyria as hostile nations against Israel. You gotta remember during During the closing, before Babylon captivity, Assyria was the major world player. They'd already gotten a hold of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now they've already threatened the southern kingdom of Judah. The Lord has miraculously protected them from this. But it was often something for most of the split kingdom's history that Assyria was a dominant nation that they were scared of. So Assyria, I believe in this text, is descriptive of the nations. And we find in the text, in verse 6, that and they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads out our borders. So oftentimes in prophecy, you find sometimes a close up and far away. We, we find the Lord protects them from Assyria, but at the same time we, so that, that actually happened during Hezekiah's reign. But also we find in the text, Israel's doing some fighting with Assyria. Now we know that Israel actually didn't beat Assyria. But actually, now we're finding that. I'm telling you all that, say this. I think. Remember when you, remember I tell you prophecy, sometimes it's up close and far away. So some of what they're understanding, it's happening in real time. Then some of it actually has a future fulfillment. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's sometimes up close and far away. So literally, God takes care of Assyria in their time. But then literally, there's going to be a time when they are going to fight Assyria themselves. Has not happened. But there's coming in revelation the, the description of the nations coming and wanting to fight against Israel. That's where Armageddon is going to happen. That's where the final war. there is going to come a time when the peace treaty is going to be broken, and the Arab nations and the nations of the world are going to rage against these people, and this is right before the Lord comes back. But I want to point out something to you. It says that they will be raised up against them shepherd, seven shepherds and eight princes. And it says that it says in verse six, that they that they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword. There's going to come a day when Israel can protect itself. We see this in, in kind of this prophetic idea here. And you know what's interesting about Israel? 1945, they come in, they they get the national homeland. Instantly, there's a an there's Arab countries attack Israel. Israel wins it. 1967, Arab nations attack Israel. Israel wins it. And mathematically, that shouldn't have happened. There have been two uh, Arab uprisings in 1987 and 2000 trying to come against Israel, not able to do it militarily. Even from the Gaza Strip, rockets get launched and just the Dome of the Rock bounces them off from Israel. Their technology is superior, their ability to protect themselves, their ability to do whatever they need to do to protect their people is amazing considering so many hostile nations towards each other. Why? Why? I see prophetic fulfillment in that. Like they're able to hold against the Assyrian nations. It's interesting. How can a country insignificant the size of New Jersey, okay, defend itself by such an onslaught of people? Have such a strong military presence? And, of course, we have to admit that some of that is America sharing its technology and being in communication with them as well. Verse number 7. So we see a return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. A return of the Jewish people to the Lord in the land of Israel. The right of the Jewish people to defend themselves against foreign nations. Point number four, we see a remnant of Jewish people to bless the nations while they are scattered. So now the, the prophet, remember, I don't, he's not tied to linear. He now talks about what happens when the Jewish people are dispersed worldwide. This is also a reason why I would say in this text we see a, a, an up-close fulfillment that Israel will return back to their land from Babylonian captivity after you know what Micah also prophesies about. But also, we've never seen the children of Israel spread to all the corners of the world, to all the nations. They've been spread to Babylon. They've been spread to Assyria during shortly after this, uh, Assyria before this and Babylon later. But I will tell you this. After 70 AD, they were dispersed and began to get dispersed through history further and further, and for 2,000 years, reaching to all types of nations, from Poland to Russia to America to South America to Africa, scattered all over. Now look what the text says. About that scattering over the last 2,000 years, before before they had their homeland back. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass. Okay, If you've ever, I mean... Dew on the grass, it's like, it's everywhere. If you woke up and you had dew all over your grass and you tried to just like step on a place on your grass where dew wasn't because you didn't want to get your feet wet, not going to happen. It's everywhere. They're scattered everywhere. And not only that, dew and showers are something that are a blessing. And it says which in verse seven, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of men. So here's what happens. Ethnic Jews get scattered after 70 AD. They're continuing to be scattered until 1948. And actually, before 1948, some Jews were already trying to get back to Israel. They just didn't have the military strength and state recognition until 48. But I want you to understand, if you start to read up on Jewish people and their contribution to the nations, how they've been like dew and water and rain to the rest of the nations, it'll be amazing. Let me just talk about America. This is real quick, just some areas. You know that the actual Barbie doll, okay? Guess what? That was a Jewish person that, that, that invented that. And you're like, oh, the Barbie doll. Has every woman in here probably not played with Barbie dolls growing up? Did that not have a profound impact on you, okay? Chemotherapy treatment for childhood leukemia. Jewish person. Dew and water to the nations. The song, God bless us. That was my singing for you. America. Guess what? A Jewish person. Okay. The Great Depression. People who made it through the Great Depression was through something called the National Recovery Agency. It was devastating. Jewish person installed that. The makeup you wear. Estee Lauder. Jewish person. The poem on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Emma Lazarus. Jewish person. The jeans you're wearing right now. Guess who invented those? Levi Strauss. A Jewish person. Countless political figures, countless movie stars, even, even, you know, the Bob Dylan, Jewish. I mean, like, you'd be surprised how many, even media, American media that reaches to the globe. You know what's really interesting? You go over to other countries, they watch our movies, okay? They listen to our music. We don't listen to a lot of other nations' music, but we sure, everybody's listening to our stuff, and who is behind a lot of that? It's Jewish people. Dew and water among the nations. You see it in the text. So he says this in verse 8, And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples. Like a lion among the beasts of the forest and like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Now you might be going like, ooh, that sounds bad. Like, are Jewish people secret espionages and like killing people off? No. I, I think what, here's what I think when I'm seeing this and looking at history. Wherever Jewish people are and have been scattered... They have always been a force to be reckoned with. They have always been a people who have, have learned how to work, who, who work hard and influence the culture. And it's like, you put a line among sheep, you're not going to control that apex predator, okay? He's going to do whatever he wants to do regardless. And you find Jewish people, wherever they're planted around the globe, they have a huge impact in that culture. Like, they're, in, they're apex. You cannot stop them. Where they don't have an impact... It's where that country has systemically tried to oppress them and hold them down. The, many of the, the, the pushing forward of our civilization, some of, some of the industry that we have is a direct result of Jewish people. Our financing system. Even this, did you know this? Our country at the Revolutionary War was broke. You know, when you're a new nation, you don't have much money. You don't have, you know, you're not throwing off Britain's tea anymore, okay? Like, you've got to do something, and guess what? It was a Jewish man by the name of, of Hey Solomon who loaned and floated money to the U.S. government to help it keep going in its new infancy, right? I'm telling you, in the prophecy of Scripture, Jewish people have a huge impact. So you see it here. They're like a lion, man. Wherever they're at, they're, they're, they have an impact. So my, my point to you is this. The king is coming, There are traces of it even in prophetic scripture. Put your hope in the king to come, not in what's happening. And start opening up your eyes and see what's happening around you. And like you're going to start putting your hope in the king to come and not what's happening right here. And like before your eyes, a Jewish people coming back. Things are getting prepared. Things are getting ready. Like this is amazing stuff that's happening. We'll do this. We'll look in verse 9, and this is our last point. Are y'all doing okay? Okay. This last thing. I want you to notice something. The Israel, people of Israel as a whole are, are not seekers of the Lord. We support a missionary, Jews for Jesus. We support Jewish evangelization in, in Israel because we believe that these Jewish people are going to come to the Lord, and this is part of prophetic fulfillment. And what's interesting is this. In the text... Israel, which is a secular nation right now, like the Lord is going to do something among them, and he is doing it. People are coming, Jewish people are coming to the Lord in Israel right now. Organizations like Jews for Jesus are hammering and throttling down. Look in verse 9. You start to see among the Jewish people, there's going to be a turning. It says, Hear this, you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Actually, wait a minute, I'm not even reading in chapter 5, sorry. I'm like, that does not even look like what I'm wanting to read. <laughs> your hands shall be lifted over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and I will destroy your chariots. Remember, ancient Israel wasn't to gather horses and chariots to protect themselves. The Lord would protect. This is going to come in a day where the Lord's going to be like, your military might that's protected you so far, I'm going to be your protector I will cut off the cities of the land and throw down all the strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand. And you shall have no more tellers of fortune. No more demonic worship. No more worshiping that's not Jesus. I will cut off your carved images and your pillows from among you. And you shall... I mean, you did hear in the video that it's still promoting a secular agenda. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asher images from among you and destroy your cities... He's just like, listen, I'm going to remake this thing. I'm not going to make it to where you can worship false idols. Like, we're going to, I'm going to bring you to myself. Now, it's just interesting. How can the Lord do that when, when you're all scattered? Like, he's bringing you all together. Even in verse 15, the greater picture is the Lord's going to do this on the whole entire globe. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey him. The Lord will bring justice, not only in Israel, but also to the nations. So, here in this text... It's about hope in the king to come, all these evidences of the king to come, all these prophecies of the king to come, even before your eyes, seeing what's happening with these people in this land. And, and, and the goal, in my mind, hopefully, in this message is free ourselves from the flimsy things that held up our hope into something that's actually more substantial, whatever Stephanie has over there. Watch, if this H falls off at the end of this thing, I'm going to be so mad like I did weeks ago. Like, hold your hope in something that's right and eternal. And Titus says, we hang our hope in the blessed return of Jesus. And if right now you're kind of like, I can't, I don't have, oh, man, I do not want the Lord to come back. Okay, why are you saved? Let's get it right today. Is there sin in your life? Let's get it right today. We're about to take communion. Confess your sin to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness. Maybe you're like, man, I... I love the Lord. I want Him to come back, but I just got other things I want to do. Okay, maybe you love this world more than you love the King. You love the stuff and not the Savior. You get it? Hoping the King to come. It's right before our eyes, people. It's happening. It's coming. Would you stand with me as we have a time of taking communion? Lord, thank you for a chance to take communion, to revive our soul for the King to come, to let us have a fresh look at confessing of our sin. Lord, a, a time of of renewing our soul to reconcile and repent, and then to even take communion and look forward to the day we'll be taking it with you, the King. The King is coming. Let our eyes be open to what's around us. Protect us from, you know, dating things and trying to predict and just liking the ooh and ah of prophecy. But let us, let it, let at least, when we see what God's doing for our eyes, let it help us to look up. And to set Colossians 3 on our our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Let it set our affections towards discipling for the glory of God Till you come, King. Let us set our hope in what is sure and trustworthy and not flimsy and soon to fall. Bless the time of singing and minute-taking communion. In Jesus' name.